I've been really enjoying all the various voices that have been speaking to us in these recent weeks about various parables. I hope that you have been uh, enriched as well as we see various perspectives on uh, different parables. And even last week, uh, just really encouraged uh, by uh, the, the teaching on justice and the call to justice as well for our Mission Sunday or Freedom Sunday, uh, and I hope that you were encouraged as well, and I know some of you signed up to be Freedom Partners as well, so thank you for doing that as we continue to engage uh, in God's work locally and also globally around the world. Uh, today we're going to be talking about prayer, uh, and I'm going to look at one specific parable, but I'm also going to touch on a few other parables, and I just want to remind you that uh, the posters that are at the back, it's going to be there for a few more weeks until August 20th, and so I want to encourage you, if there's something uh, that you want to praise the Lord for or that's happened, please write something on the praise wall. If there's a prayer request that you have and that you're asking the Lord for, write that on the prayer wall. If there's something that God has been speaking Speaking to you in these recent days, if there's something from God's word or coming on a Sunday service and hearing a message and, and God's been speaking to you something, then write that on the word of God wall uh, at the back. And uh, I know that others will be encouraged to read some of those things as we see and experience the spirit of the Lord moving in our hearts and in our families and in our church as we understand about praise and prayer and the word of God speaking to us. Uh, a few weeks ago, how many here are familiar with the, the show Jeopardy? Anyone here? Yeah, I think most of us are. A few weeks ago, uh, in, a re in, a, in a show uh, on Jeopardy, uh, three contestants were asked this question. Matthew 6, verse 9 says, Our Father, which art in heaven, this be thy name. Do you know what the answer to that is? Hallowed. Well, you guys did way better than all the three contestants. <laughs> on that show of Jeopardy because nobody got it and it raised such eyebrows even to other people as they heard that because a lot of people that were watching was like, this is a gimme question, it's so easy, but they didn't get it. It goes to show that one of the most, uh, one of the prayers in the Bible that at one time was probably the most ubiquitous prayer in our society and in our, in, in our world, the Lord's Prayer, what we, what we pray today, Vanessa led that uh, prayer at the end of her prayer, uh, and we sang that just now in the song as well, but sometimes people don't know it. Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, what we call today the Lord's Prayer, to his disciples in response to when the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. They saw the prayer life of Jesus, and his prayer life was very attractional for them. They saw the prayer life of Jesus, and they said, Jesus, the way you pray, they felt that this was something amazing and wonderful, and they wanted to know, how can we pray Jesus like you're praying? They saw the intimacy with Jesus and the Father. They saw saw the beauty between Jesus and the Father, and they wanted to know how to pray like Jesus prayed. And I want to encourage you today to develop a habit of prayer. I want to encourage you today to make prayer one of your rhythms in your own uh, personal spiritual life. It is so important and critical to develop a habit of prayer. Uh, I finished a, a book recently, which I uh, highly recommend to you all as well, and it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he talks about how little tiny habits can help in order to revolutionize uh, and change our lives. Uh, it's, it's 
It's a bestseller. It's probably considered the gold standard in understanding about habit formation and how we can develop uh, good habits. Uh, but one thing that he says, which is really, which I thought was really unique and important about habit forming, which you might not have thought about before, is that our current behaviors or our habits is actually a reflection of our identity. And I'll say that again. The habits that we have, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, is a reflection of our identity. We all want to create good habits. We all want, at some point uh, in our lives, to develop habits that are, that are good for us. But sometimes we failed along the way. And, and James Clear says that uh, sometimes we just focus on the outcomes, or sometimes we just focus on the processes. But actually, what we need to focus on is our identity. He says this, outcomes are about what you get. Processes are about what you do. Identity is about what you believe. And he takes it all back and roots our habit formation in our identity. What is our identity? That's the root cause of all of this, right? We love to see outcomes. We love to put in good processes, right? We might say, I want to lose 20 pounds, so I'm going to go to the gym and work. And so the outcome is lose 20 pounds. The process is go to, go to the gym and work, work out. But the identity is what's what is needed in order to get to that. And one of the reasons I think that we don't develop, a, don't develop good habits in our life, one of the reasons why we don't have good habit formation is that we are not grounded in our identity as children of God. We're not grounded in an identity as children of God, and so many times we sway back and forth to different things that our culture and our world tries to teach us. And if we were able to be rooted in our identity as children of God, we would be able, that would be the first step in really good habit formation. Now, there's a lot more that goes into this. I recommend you read the book. It was, it's really good to be, if you're looking to develop uh, good habits. But understanding ourselves as children of God can help us, that identity as children of God can help us in a habit formation of prayer, which is simply talking to God, right? I'll give you an example of my son, Joel. Uh, he's happy to talk with us, but when he comes to church or when he, we visit some other place or someone else comes to our home, he becomes very cuddly and very reserved, and he'll just sit there and he'll just stay in our arms and he'll just look out, right? But when everyone else leaves... And he's happy to chat and talk, right, and everything else. Why is that? He's secure in his identity as our son. There's really not much more that he's identified with. <laughs> he's only a year and a half. But he's secure in his identity as our son. So if he's with me, or if he's with Laura, or if he's with both of us, he is very secure. And he'll chat and talk, and he'll, he'll be happy, he'll run around, he'll do all sorts of things. The moment that he comes into a situation that's not his own with other people, then he'll come and he'll cling close to us, right? It's the same thing with our relationship with the Lord. If we are secure and firm and confident in our identity as children of God, then that, that 
prayer life, that habit of prayer will come out. We will find comfort and ease in just talking with Jesus. We will find hope. We will find peace. We will find joy. We will find security in talking with Jesus. Friends, can I ask you today, what is your identity? What is your identity today? The, it, the world will teach us all sorts of other things regarding our identity. Culture will teach us all sorts of things about our identity. Culture will teach us that our identity is rooted in our income level, or in our ethnicity, or in our job, or in our own status, or in our sexuality, or in our success. This is what the world and culture will teach us how we need to identify. But God wants us to understand that our identity is rooted in the very fact that we are children of God. In John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of, of God. Our habits form our identity. And our identity is the root cause of that. There's a reciprocal relationship. So what is your identity? Is it being a child of God? Oftentimes we get sidetracked about our identity. We lose the ability to actually create and form good habits because we don't identify as children of God. He says this in his book as well. Good habits can make rational sense, but if they, are, if they conflict with your identity, you'll fail to put them into action. Good habits can make rational sense, but if they conflict with your identity, you'll fail to put them into practice. If you see in his book, he talks about like three sort of circles. The fir first inner circle is identity, then it's process, and then it's actual uh, uh, action. And so, but the root cause of that is our identity. Jesus' habits was, were centered around his identity as the Son of God. Jesus' habits, was his prayer life was rooted in the fact that he was the Son of God and he had an intimate and beautiful relationship with his heavenly Father. We see what Jesus did in various times. He, he rose up early to pray. It says in the Gospel of Mark, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. This was part of his habit, to get up early in the morning and pray. Before the busyness of the day, before all of these other things were happening, he was able to get up and he was able to pray and spend time with his heavenly father. There was a habit of prayer in Jesus' life. He did some other things as well, if you look in the, in, in the gospel of Luke. But Jesus often withdrew to a wilderness for prayer. This wasn't just a one-off thing. It says here, Jesus often withdrew. There was a habit that Jesus was practicing about prayer. If you look in Luke chapter 6, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up into a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. When was the last time you prayed all night? When was the last time I prayed all night? Some of our churches in Cuba, they pray all night. It's inspiring and amazing to see. Jesus developed and cultivated a habit of prayer and can I encourage you as well to cultivate that habit of prayer? In, in the Old Testament, we read a story about a man named Daniel, and he had a habit of prayer. He would pray three times in the day. He would go to his room, he would open the windows, and he would pray to God, and that was his habit of prayer. Nothing was going to take that away. It was rooted in, in his identity as an Israelite, in his identity as a child of God, and he would pray to, his, to, to God three times a day. And then the king was tricked into issuing a decree that for 30 days, anyone who would uh, uh, pray to any other god other than the king 
that they would be thrown into a, into a den of lions. And this, this decree was made partly to capture Daniel because the people were upset at Daniel and his success, the other, other rulers. And when Daniel heard this and he knew that if he prayed to any other god other than the king, that he would be thrown into the den of lions. What helped Daniel to overcome that and the desire to say, well, I better not pray lest I be thrown into the den of lions. His habit of prayer actually continued. His habit of prayer continued, and it says in the word of God that he went to his room, he opened up the windows, and he prayed as his custom was, or as his habit was. Friends, can I encourage you to develop a habit of prayer? Regardless of what it costs us, for Daniel, it could have cost his life. Regardless of whatever sacrifice that we have to make, and sometimes it will be a sacrifice to get up early in the morning or pray through the night or depart out into a uh, solitary place to pray. What is our practice of prayer? What is our habit of prayer? What is our way of talking with the Lord? Prayer is such a, a, a crucial and an important thing in our spiritual lives. And when we talk about Unionville Alliance Church, I've mentioned this before, but I want to I wanna reemphasize this, that we want Unionville Alliance Church, we want the body of believers here, if you call Unionville Alliance Church your home church, if you're part of our community, we want Unionville Alliance Church to be a house of prayer. We want the people at Unionville Alliance Church to be people of prayer. Part of the Great Commission, the Great Commission that God has given to us, that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach uh, the gospel and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm with you always even until the end of the world. That Great Commission is split up into two different mandates. One is an evangelistic mandate. The other is a discipleship mandate. The evangelistic mandate of the Great Commission is go into all the world and tell people about me. That's the evangelistic mandate. Go into all the world. Go to the ends of the world. Make disciples. That's the evangelistic mandate. The, the discipleship mandate of the Great Commission is to teach them everything that I've commanded you. Grow in your life. Grow in discipleship. Right? That's the, the discipleship mandate. And if we look at these two phrases as well in connection with prayer, a house of prayer is the evangelistic mandate. That people of all nations, people of all over our community would be able to come here to Unionville Alliance Church and know that this place is a house of prayer. Do you know what happened a few months ago here? I was so blessed that a lady came into the church after the service and said, I came because I wanted prayer and I felt that I could come to this place to receive prayer. And one couple here they spent so much time with her. They sat down in our lobby. Everyone had left. I was just doing a few things, and I came and I saw them. They introduced me uh, to her, and they spent a long time with her, just praying with her. It was amazing to see not only that she came desiring and wanting prayer, but I was so blessed, the burden of this couple, to just spend that time with her and pray with her. That, to me, spoke of what it means for Unionville Alliance Church to be a house of prayer. And for us to be people of prayer is a discipleship mandate. For us to grow in our prayer lives. For us to grow in prayer. For us to grow in our intimacy and in our communion with the Lord. 
Friends, if you're struggling today to develop a habit of prayer, can I ask you to do one thing? If you're struggling in prayer, if you're struggling to create that habit of prayer, go back first to your identity. Who are you? Are you a child of God? Let that habit of prayer come out of that rooting, that foundation, that you are a son or daughter of God. And he wants to talk to you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to have communion with you. He wants to have intimacy with you. He wants you to know his heartbeat. He wants you to to have fellowship with him. He is your father. You are his son or daughter. Go back to your identity. James Clear says, says it this way. Your habits are how you embody your identity. Now, that can be a scary thing. Because if we look at our habits, it speaks to what our identity is. And if there are some bad habits that are in our life, it speaks to what our identity can be. So our habits are how we embody our identity. Go back to that that, that secure place of being uh, a son or daughter of Jesus. Here's a, you know, I like to give you book recommendations. Uh, here's another book that I finished recently that, was, that I think is a really good book. It's called uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, right? Really good title. Praying Like Monks, Living, Living Like Fools by Tyler Staden. A real challenge to prayer. Again, don't, don't read this book if you don't want to be challenged in prayer, okay? If you, if you don't want your prayer life challenged, if you don't want to draw, if you don't want to draw closer to Jesus, don't read this book. But if you want to draw closer to Jesus, if you want to grow in your prayer, if you want to cultivate and develop a habit of prayer, this is an excellent book to read. In this book, he tells the story of when he was 13 years old, and a mentor asked him this question. 13 years old, okay? A mentor asked him, what do you think God would do in the lives of your unbelieving friends if you spent every day this summer walking around your school in prayer for them? 13. He said, I don't know what God would do. But he took up the challenge. And so every day in the summer, he would go to his school, walk around his school. He had, at that time, the directory of students, and he would pray for his classmates, all of his classmates in grade 8. He would pray for them throughout the summer, right? And what happened? He said this, quote, I fell in love with the God I wasn't sure was listening I discovered that I didn't just need God in some ultimate sense. I liked God. I enjoyed his presence. I looked forward to his company. That's all I knew for sure. So then when the school year started, he went to the principal and he asked the principal, could I start an extracurricular club about Jesus? Very broad, right? And the principal said, yeah, sure, you could do that, but you need a teacher sponsor. If you find a teacher sponsor, I'm good with that. So... He found a teacher sponsor, and he started this club. As most, you know, young 13-year-old boys would start a a club about Jesus at 6.30 in the morning on Wednesdays. Not after school. 6.30 in the morning on Wednesdays. And he said what he would do is he would just go home, and he would pick a scripture, and he would just pray over it and figure out what he would share about that scripture. But he needed to prepare, so guess what? On Wednesdays, he got to school at, you know what time? 5.30. 13 years old. A burden for prayer. Cultivating a habit of prayer. 
In the book, he talks about how, how he prepared and how he thought of how it was going to be a disaster. But he, had, he said he didn't know the Bible. He didn't know doctrines. He was probably teaching wrong stuff. He was probably doing all sorts of things. He was only 13 years old. He didn't have a theological education or anything like that. But he was leading this club. He said he had one thing going for him. Do you know the only thing he had going for him? He prayed. That's it. He prayed. That was the only thing he had going for him. So he would get to, get to school on Wednesdays at 5.30. He would come on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays early to pray for his classmates. His mom, who was a Christian, actually had to sit him down and say, hey, Tyler, can you cool it a little bit? Because she was losing sleep, having to drive him to school early in the morning. A couple of months um, into the meetings, they had so many people that were attending the club that they had to move out of the math classroom and go into the school theater because of the number of people that were coming at 6.30 in the morning. By the end of that school year, one-third of his classmates had come to saving faith in Jesus. All because he prayed. All because he prayed. Friends, can I challenge you today and ask you, when you came in today, if you'd have gotten a card like this, right? This is our Alpha prayer campaign card. We're going to be running Alpha in September. Can I ask you to, in the back, there is a space for, for three names. Can I ask you to prayerfully think of three people that you can pray for every single day from now till about mid-September when we start running Alpha? Write down those three names on here, and then this is Luke 11, verse 2, which is part of the Lord's Prayer. And then set an alarm on your phone for 11.02 every single day. So at 11.02, when your alarm goes off, wherever you are, take a few moments and pray for those three names. Can we do that? The same way that this young boy's mentor at 13 years old challenged him and asked him, what do you think would happen if you prayed for your classmates and walked around the school all throughout the summer? I'm asking you. What do you think would happen if you prayed for three people every single day from now till mid-September? What do you think would happen if you would pray for those three people and invite them to come out for Alpha to experience the story of Jesus? Can you try to do that? If we all did that, if we all committed to pray for three people and pray from now every single day, set an alarm on your phone, 11.02, every single day, pause and stop and just pray for a minute for those three people. I wonder what Jesus would do in your life. I wonder what Jesus would do for your friends. I wonder what Jesus would do for your family. I wonder what Jesus would do for our church as well if we were to respond to that. So there's, there, there's three parables. The friend at midnight, the widow and the unjust judge, and the Pharisee and the tax collector. We don't have time to go through all of them, but I just want to talk about two lessons from all three of those parables. One is humility, and the other is perseverance. The story of the Pharisee and the tax collector is that the Pharisee and the tax collector both went into the temple, and 
when they went into the temple, the Pharisee who thought he was righteous and thought that he was doing everything good, he prayed, and the Bible says he prayed within himself. He wasn't, his prayers weren't really even getting to God. He was just praying within himself, and he said, God, I thank you that I'm like this and like this and like this, and I thank you that I'm not like this and not like that. I'm not like this tax collector. He prayed with a very proud heart. And God didn't hear that prayer. But the tax collector came and came into the house of the Lord, and he prayed and he acknowledged with sincere repentance and acknowledgement of his sin and failure and shortcoming, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In his humility, he prayed. Prayer is an exercise in humility. Prayer is an exercise in humility because it's about repentance, self-acknowledgement, vulnerability, transparency, lament. There's so many psalms that are psalms of, of prayer in the word of God that are prayers of lament, acknowledging our own fallen state, crying out to God. In Isaiah 57, it says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those repentant hearts. Then these other two parables um, of the parable of the friend at midnight, which we read in the scripture reading today, and the, the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. The, the, both of those stories, Jesus tells to tell one point. And that one point is perseverance. Now I look at that and I struggled with this for weeks. I struggle with this, and I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, Lord, is, like, this is really the most important thing. You're telling two parables for one story about perseverance, one topic about perseverance? Like, is this the thing you want to emphasize? When I read the parable, as we read this morning of the friend at midnight, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, isn't it better for the person to respond out of love? So the friend comes at midnight and is knocking on the door and saying, can I have some bread? Knock, 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 can I have some bread? And in the parable, Jesus says, the person in his house, even though he's his friend, he's not going to respond because he's his friend. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, wouldn't it be better if you change the parable a little bit around and he does respond to his friend? Like, doesn't that show love? Doesn't that show, look, our community of friends, we should support one another? The, the parable would sound way better if the man answered because he was his friend. But he doesn't answer because he's his friend. He answers because he's bothering him. He's answering because I need some sleep. Can you stop knocking on the door, please? He's answering because this guy, how am I going to get rid of him? That's the reason for the answer. And so the story Jesus is telling, both in the friend at midnight and with the widow and unjust judge, it's a story about perseverance, to continue in prayer. Friends, what are you praying for? Jesus says to pray and not to faint, to continue in prayer. What are you praying for? That takes endurance, that takes lament, that takes time, that takes energy, that takes hope. What are you praying for that you have to continue to endure and endure? In Luke 11, verse 9, it says, So I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. It's about perseverance. 
And I struggled with this. I was like, Lord, is this really the lesson you want us to learn? Like, isn't there another lesson about love and grace and kindness? But he tells two parables, not one parable, two parables about prayer to illustrate the point that he wants us to persevere, to pray and not give up. Luke 18, verse 1, the start of the the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. He gives the lesson right from the beginning. Before he tells the story, he says, here's the lesson. This is the big takeaway. This is what I want you to know. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Here's the plot. Here's the crux of the matter. Here's what I want you to take away. He says that right from the beginning. And so this story of the widow and unjust judge, the widow goes to the judge and says, I need some, I need some vengeance. I need you to, to, there's all these things bad that has happened to me. Judge, can you vindicate me for these things bad that has happened to me? And the judge, the word of God says, the judge doesn't fear God. The judge doesn't have anything to gain from this woman. But in the parable, Jesus says, even though the judge doesn't have anything to gain, and even, the judge, even though the judge doesn't fear God, because the woman keeps doing what? Coming back and asking. Coming back and asking. Persevering. Persevering. Not out of love. Not out of, oh, this is a worthy cause. Out of just the plain fact of, you're going to wear me out. I'm going to answer you. And he tells the story to illustrate Perseverance. So I want to tell you real quickly, nine contrasts between the woman and the unjust judge and us and Jesus, okay? And I hope that, I hope this might speak to you. Number one, and I'll go through it very quickly. The widow was a stranger to the judge, but we are God's chosen people. He ends the parable by saying, if the unjust judge will answer the woman, how much more will your heavenly father answer you? So that's the reason I'm looking looking at these contrasts. If the judge will do this, how much more will your heavenly father do this? If the judge will answer the widow's request, how much more will Jesus answer your request? So look at the contrast here. The woman was a stranger to the judge, but we are God's chosen people. Isn't that amazing? If the judge was willing to answer a stranger, would not God judge? Would not God answer his chosen people? Would not God answer his children? Right? I won't read all the verses. You can write it down. The notes are on our notes page on our website as well. You can uh, read those verses later on. Number two, the widow was one person. But as the body of Christ, we can unite together and pray. If If the judge will answer for one woman continuing to plead, how much more will Jesus do that for us as we, as a body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, unite together and and pray? Right? Number three, the widow would have come with fear and trembling and uncertainty, not knowing what the judge would do. The widow would have come, this man is in a place of authority. I don't know what he will do. I don't know what he will say. I don't know how he's going to respond. But we get the privilege to come with what? Not with fear, not with uncertainty, but to come with boldness to the throne of grace. And give our petition to the Lord. If the unjust judge will answer the widow who came with fear and trembling and not knowing what the answer would be, how much more will Jesus answer us because he invites us and says, come boldly to my throne of grace and make your petition and request known to me. Isn't that amazing? That's what we get to experience. Number four, the judge was an unjust man. But we have 
a righteous heavenly father. If an unjust judge will answer that widow, how much more will the righteous judge, will the righteous heavenly father answer his children? We have a righteous God. Number five, the widow was on her own with no one to help her, but the Lord is for us. God is on our side. Those beautiful verses in the book of Romans chapter 8. What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If the Lord is on our side, who can be against us? The widow was just one person. She had nobody on her side. But we have Jesus on our side. He is for us. Number six, the widow was pleading her own case. Guess what we have? We have an advocate, a lawyer on our side to plead our case. We have Jesus on the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to intercede for us. He is there to intercede for us. The woman had to make her own case. We get the privilege of having Jesus on our side. Number seven, she had no promise that her case would be resolved and answered. But do you know what? We already have an answer. We already have a promise that Jesus will hear and answer. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he does what? He rewards those who sincerely seek him. The woman would have come with uncertainty and fear and trembling and saying, this is an unjust judge. I don't know what he'll do. He might not answer. We can come to our heavenly father knowing that he rewards those who diligently seek him those who answer him. Number eight, the widow's access to the judge was limited. She was pretty persistent, so maybe eight o'clock in the morning, hello, judge. 11 o'clock in the, uh, in the morning, hello, judge. Maybe 1 p.m. in the afternoon, hello, judge. Maybe 7 p.m. at night, hello, judge. But her access was limited. We have the privilege. We have unlimited access. Come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come into that most holy place at any time, 24 hours, seven days a week. God gives us the privilege to be able to come to him. And number nine is that she was, her asking provoked the judge. Her continual coming made the judge more and more upset. But our asking, our continual coming to Jesus, our perseverance in coming to Jesus delights the Lord. He delights when we ask him. He delights when we seek him. And friends, you might be here today and you might be thinking, I I I've been persevering. I've been praying. I've been asking the Lord for something and I haven't seen the answer. Do you know there's an unanswered, unanswered prayer request of Jesus as well till today? Did you know that? We want to take time to read it all. John chapter 17 is a beautiful prayer by Jesus known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Anyone know that prayer? The high priestly prayer of Jesus. Beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed. The crux of that prayer, the main emphasis of that prayer is, Father, make them one, as we are one. He prayed for unity. Is that prayer answered? No. Till today, that prayer is not answered. Till today, Jesus is probably at the right hand of the Father praying that same prayer. Father, make them one. Now, if Jesus can persevere in prayer for about 2,000 years, 
you know, that's Jesus. That's God's son. If he can persevere in prayer for 2,000 years, if his, if his prayer, Father, make them one, has still not been answered yet, how about for us? How about for us? Can we not persevere? And friends, I, I really struggled with this. And I, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why perseverance? Lord, why is, why is this quality? Why not just answer the prayer? And as I was praying about this and as I was preparing and as I was thinking, I felt the Lord speaking to me. It's because I want my people to keep coming back to me. It's because I want to know them. If we prayed one prayer and God answered that, what do you think our intimacy with the Lord would look like? But if we prayed a prayer and prayed it again and prayed it again and in the depth of our darkness and in the depth of our trial and in the, the depth of our pain, we prayed and prayed and prayed. Oh, how close we would draw to Jesus. Oh, how we would know his heart. Oh, how we would know his pain. Oh, how we would know his love. Oh, how we would know his character. Oh, how we would know the beauty of Jesus. And I think the perseverance is so that we can keep coming to him. It causes us to keep going to him. It causes us to keep going to him. At the end of that parable is this verse. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. I think the part of perseverance is so that it works something in our heart. It works something in our life. It works something in our character so that when Jesus returns, we are not the same, but we are transformed into the image of Jesus. Our impatience is patience. Our anger is love. Our hopelessness is hope. That our character is transformed. Our unbelief becomes faith. I think in the perseverance, in the going to him over and over and developing a habit of prayer, developing a, a, a rhythm of prayer, developing a life of prayer, becoming people of prayer, transforms and changes us to be like Jesus. And in the, in the larger view of eternity, what's way more important is not the answer to the prayer, but the transformation of our lives. In the big global picture of what Jesus is trying to do in the world, in the big picture of what he is seeing, it's not so much the answer to the prayer, but it's the transformation of our lives so that, so that we can become like Jesus. Friends, can I encourage you to develop a habit of prayer? And invite the worship team to come. We're going to sing this song, The God of the Impossible. And it talks about, uh, I pray healing over your life. I pray for transfer. I pray for the bigger picture of us to be more like Jesus. But I'll tell you another story. I said I was going to circle back to the Cuban Alliance churches. I was so impressed. I'll tell you my biggest takeaway from this trip to Cuba. The number one thing that impressed me the most. The number one thing that God spoke to me the most. The number one thing that just hit me like a rock. Probably about two decades ago, approximately, maybe a little bit less than that, there was about 20 churches in Cuba, Alliance churches. And they would plant one church, and they would lose one church. They would plant one church and close down another church. One step forward, 
one step back. One of the international workers from Canada, somebody that's funded through our global advance fund that you generously give to, that our church generously partners with, his name is Blake. He came to Cuba, and he was seeing what was happening, and he was, Lord, what do you want to happen? And God spoke to him and inspired him with a movement and a burden of prayer. He wrote a whole book on it. And he started to respond to how God was speaking to him. This is one of our international workers from Canada. Started to respond how God was speaking to him to pray. And so he prayed. And he led in prayer. And it started a movement of prayer all throughout Cuba. Not just for the Alliance, but for all sorts of denominations. Before COVID, they had a meeting. 500 pastors interdenominationally led by Blake and his leadership team, led through the alliance of people that just gathered together for prayer, and it brought a revival. And it went from 20 churches to 70 churches. And the root cause, they prayed. They prayed. That's what happened. The power of the habit of prayer. I saw, you, you usually can't tell these stories while people are still living. I'm telling you this story while he's still living. Because I saw with my own eyes and I heard the stories of what had happened in that prayer movement over the last two decades in Cuba. And how through that movement of prayer, it brought a revival to our Alliance churches. Now, there are so many other things that happen. I'm simplifying it. I'm just telling you really the root cause of all that. There's all sorts of other things, strategic things that had to take place as well. But it was rooted in prayer. And so one of the pictures that I showed you of all these pastors from different denominations gathering together, that was the reboot because COVID messed so many things up. And now they're starting to reboot that again and start that movement of prayer. Friends, develop a habit of prayer because Jesus wants to know you, because Jesus wants to change you, because Jesus wants to be with you. Let's stand together and let's